But I want to tell you about this advice that I got from one of my preaching professors at seminary. He always warned us to not use imperatives. That is, never use the, try to avoid using the command form. When you get up in front, you go to preach, you don't want to just be telling people what to do. He's like, you know, kind of phrase it differently. Put it in, a, in the indicative. A lot of grammar, especially for an engineer. I had to look those words up. <laughs> well, put it in more like a sentence. So instead of like saying, hey, you all need to uh, go home, we'll say like, it's wise to go home after work or something like that. Like you rephrase it so it's not a command. Here was the tension I always felt. And I'm sure this man knows a lot more about preaching than I do. The tension is this. The Bible's full of commands. <laughs> it's almost, it's full of this imperative voice of, hey, do this, do this, do this. And the idea is, it's good. And we're about to read a section of scripture, um, 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 13 through 25. And I'm going to highlight three different commands. It's in this imperative voice. We know that there's this command to go, do this, think like this, behave like this, respond like this. And I just want you to get used to knowing where those commands are coming from and that I say them to you coming from the same place. I'm with you. Like, I want to see them implemented in my life. And we're going to begin, uh, the first word of our, our reading today is, therefore. <laughs> so that's an interesting place to start, right? Because a lot of us have heard that phrase, when you read therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is it therefore? That there's something that came before it that we need to know or remember as we read. And so I only want to point out to you before we read this and even be listening for what commands Peter has put in here for us that the therefore, these commands in the New Testament, even in the Old, but all over the New Testament, it always uses this form. It, it creates this foundation. It'll give this truth, this foundational truth. And then it will say, therefore, do this. They call it like grounds exhortation, right? That you have these grounds that we're all standing on. And as a result of this foundational truth, we do this. The therefore is coming right after this foundational truth that we talked about last week. We are born again. We have been born again. And we were born again into a living hope. And we have been born again into an imperishable inheritance. Right? So that's what precedes the therefore. So I'm going to go ahead and read this really rich passage. And as we're reading through it, maybe even be listening for the different commands we hear as we're reading through it. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, 
Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, in all its glory, like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And he's coming out of this passage where he's just told us, he's reminded his readers who you are, that they might be literally exiles. Maybe they were just literally, we're not even sure if there's this very real sense in which they are exiles, having just been removed maybe from Rome. This wasn't uncommon. And now we're out in these foreign lands and you're in exile. But what Paul really focuses in on is we as believers, we are all exiles, elect exiles, chosen in Christ. We belong to him, we're his but we're in a world that has largely rejected Christ, and so we are exiles. <coughs> but we've been born again. We've been born into a living hope that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and we've been born into an imperishable inheritance. Therefore, with this being the case, we set our hope fully on the grace ahead. Right, there's three, me three commands we're listening to, and I want to tell you about three surprises that I have connected with some of these commands. That this first command is, we're pointing this way, we're looking ahead, that our hopes, our real hope is set in the future, that we realize as we move through this world, we'll encounter disappointment. After all, we're exiles. And here's the thing. We're living in a world that is actually still experiencing the curse, the 
curse of deciding we don't want to follow God, that this is the general response to the world, and as a result, it's broken all around us. And even though Jesus became a curse for us in our place so that in him we experience this new life. Really, we experience it now. Jesus said the time has come when those who hear my voice and believe him who sent me cross from death to life now that we are experiencing some of the grace that's coming. But our hope is in that day Resurrection Day. Jesus talked about a day when he said all, he said, this day has come now, that those who hear my words and believe, they cross from death to life now. A literal new birth, resurrection. But he also said there's another resurrection that hasn't happened yet. He said the day is coming when all who are in their graves will hear my voice and come out. And those who have done good will rise to eternal life. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. That's John 5. It's hammering home this same truth that Peter's giving us. There's a day out there. This is our real hope. It's in that day. We're waiting for that day. And even as we live now, there's always a piece of us that will be waiting and longing for that day. I was so blessed last week by how many people came up to me to say they'd be praying for me. I just really relating to a lot of what I had to share last week about my crazy family, <laughs> of which I am a part. Right? I'm always wondering how much of the crazy am I bringing to the table? Like, what are my blind spots? I feel like I can see all their blind spots. Well, I tell you, it was a good trip. Um, it wasn't all good. That is, there were some really hard realities. And one of them surprised me a little bit. I went to visit my mom in the rehab center. Rehab centers just aren't fun places. They're dark. They actually, it really, I want to walk in there. I actually want to ask them, can everybody turn the lights on a little more? Like, it's literally dim in there. But the part that was so upsetting was my, my mom was so alone. You know, rehab centers, right? She has a nursing home that my sister assures me and my mom told me it's better. She likes it more. There's actually some relationships there. You move into these rehab centers, and all of a sudden you don't have any of those. And I knew that my mom was down to like 80, 85 pounds. People have always said I look like my mom, and yep, this skinny thing up here, all this, this from my mom. But she's even skinnier now. And when I was talking to her, you know, it was, I'm thankful she recognizes me. And when she sees me, she smiles. That's a good thing, too. But as I talk to her more, I realize, yeah, but she's not all there. Right? She immediately, she's sitting there with her, her broken Femur? Is that the big one? Femur? Broken femur. And she starts telling me how her and my sister drove to New Jersey yesterday and went on in great detail. And I thought, where is this all coming from? Because I am certain you did not drive to New Jersey yesterday. And as I was leaving her, 
after actually a really nice visit, and I had an even nicer <laughs> visit the next day where we actually just got to laugh. But as I was leaving, there was this reality of, this is not a good quality of life. That I don't know how to fix this. That I'm actually looking at an experience here that really is the curse still hanging around. We all die. Right? Revelation 21 describes the world where the curse is removed, right? No more death or mourning or crying or pain. That the old is gone, the new has come. Heaven and earth come together. And we are no longer aliens. That at that point, we are actually finally home. And until that day, there will always be a piece of us that knows. Even if we can forget sometimes. Because things just seem to be going great. And we can be thankful for those times. But it just won't be long before we're reminded we're in a broken world that doesn't get remedied until that day. And Paul says so, I'm sorry, Peter says, being born again, set our minds, set our hope fully on that day. We just can't forget it. We have to be actively trying to remember it. Memorizing verses that describe it. Moments when God brought it home to us. That of course I talked to my mom about that day. About his promises to us even on the other side of death. And it brings hope. Even in the midst of the suffering. But it's that day. And it's okay. In fact, it's wise. We're commanded to do it. To think about it. Remember it. Daily setting our hopes there so that when we encounter this broken world and the pain that comes with it, we don't forget. So there's our first command. And that was my first surprise. I was surprised by how broken and hopeless this situation is outside of that day. I was surprised by how few answers there are, if no answer, to really resolve this problem now. Hope has to be there. That's where my hope fully rests. Peter doesn't just stand there. He doesn't just stay there. He also says, here's the next command. Be holy. <laughs> well, I can tell you about a surprise I had there. All right, this comes from much earlier. But the reason I tell you this story is because in my head, I had begun to believe that this command was impossible. Because what it says is, be holy. It's right there in verse 15. In all your conduct, in how you behave, in what you say and do, be holy. And here was my experience, even as a believer, 
why I cannot relate to that? That there has to be something else being talked about. And that's actually why I got into that sanctification piece a little bit. Because absolutely, there is a grace that we stand in, that we are saved. Because I, I don't know what my blind spots are, right? So none of us do. <laughs> that there may be sin that I'm currently in. Maybe the way I think about someone or, or how I've dismissed certain things that God's called me to do that I'm even unaware of. So we all stand in a grace where we, we call out to Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy on me. And he does. So we are there. But that in no way separates us from this command to be holy in all our conduct. My conduct had gotten so bad when I was right around 30, 31, that I came to the conclusion through friends and through conviction from the Holy Spirit that I needed to get to celebrate recovery. And so I went to Celebrate Recovery. It was the one that started all the Celebrate Recoveries out in Orange County. And I drove to Saddleback Church and I walked in thinking I was the only person in the world who was struggling like this, who claimed to be a believer. And there were about a thousand people there on a Friday night. And it's Orange County, right? So it's like you drive 20 minutes, you walk in, there's a thousand people and you don't know any of them. There's so many people in Orange County. So it really was anonymous. I walk in and we, we worshiped for a while and then we broke into smaller groups and I went to the group that I thought described me the best and I sat down in this circle, really, feeling just ashamed, uh, ashamed to be there, uh, ashamed of what I've done. A believer, knowing that I'm forgiven, but somehow, I don't know, Thinking, really, Lord, can you forgive when I've done the same thing a thousand times? And so I'm in this circle, and people start sharing their story. And you can see it coming around, right? There's an order to it, you know, when you're coming up. So there's a little bit of that anxiety of, okay, what am I going to share? Because I'm ashamed, feeling like the worst guy in the world. Then I hear the guy across from me share a story. And as he shares it, the first thought that comes to my mind is, whoa, he's worse than me. <laughs> ah, it was like a relief. My story will seem like nothing compared to you. The other thing, by the way, that I found was, I'm going to say about, oh, it seemed like 25%. Maybe it wasn't that many. It was a chunk of them. They were, from, they were working at a church, pastors, worship leaders, in a circle here, and we're going around. But here's what really surprised me. As this man shared his story, and I thought, wow, he went low. That is some self-destructive stuff going on, and he just blew up his family. And then he talked about how he found freedom from this habitual, destructive sin. And I remember sitting there and being surprised. That I heard his story and I thought, you've gone lower than me. And then he described his freedom. And you know how sometimes you're hearing someone talk and you just know they're not lying. And so he's telling the truth. He just shared everything. And he's now leading this group. And he's found freedom. 
And I was surprised that anyone could be set free from a cycle like that. And then I realized, why are you surprised? You've always said you believe this. And what hit me was, as I looked back on that emotion, even to this day, but in that moment, was that you have stopped believing that the power of the Holy Spirit can set you free if you'll let him. And then all of a sudden, a lot of verses made sense to me that didn't make sense before. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you, has seized us, except that which is common to man. And he will provide a way out. He'll cause us to stand. He doesn't give us more than we can bear. That here's a command that in this moment, and it is moment by moment, here's a command that Peter gives us that we actually can fulfill. And I was convinced I couldn't, but I can. And the command is this. Be holy in all your conduct. That in this moment, there, I can tell you, there is no sin that I am aware of that I am currently practicing in this moment. No sin that I plan to carry out. I'm free. Am I betting that I'll never sin again? That would be a very bad bet. No. But I actually think it's the enemy that wants to bring that thought. Hey, why do you think you can live holy? Why do you think you can obey the commands of God? Don't believe that. Haven't you seen your past? Don't you know that in the future you're going to fail? Oh, just dismiss those thoughts. That is not what Peter's saying. That is not what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. And none of us, I don't think, are saying, and certainly I'm not. I have no blind spots. That maybe one of you will come up right after this and say, hey, you know what? I saw you driving the other day or this morning or whatever. Like maybe there's something I do need to confess that I don't know of. But when we hear it, we confess it. And we move into this moment free. I can tell you, I can describe to you what slavery looks like. That's what put me in that place. And even after I heard those truths, I feel like it was years before I really believed it. But I had cycles and destructive habits going on for years. I tell you, I, I don't do them anymore. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, except this. I have been born again. And I have been set free. And now he commands us to be holy in all our conduct. And we're always looking around to see, Lord, where do I need to repent? But he doesn't give us a command and then no strength or power to carry it out. Amen? Amen. Be holy in all your conduct. Don't justify any sin. 
by saying, I'm just a sinner. You are not just a sinner. You have been born again, saved by grace, moment by moment, counting on grace to empower you to obey, to even empower you to see what you need to obey. And so the application, it says he provides a way out under every temptation. Temptation is coming. When it comes, application, look and listen. Look for what the Holy Spirit's showing you. Listen for what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. He's trying to prevent us from just blurting out those words, the first ones that come to our heads, right? We're going to get tempted. We're going to feel anger come on us. When it comes on us, there's this old man that thinks every time it comes on me, I have to behave this way. I always do the same thing. We talked about it last week, right? We don't. Look and listen for the way out that Paul tells us the Holy Spirit's providing. Okay, last command. This, uh, we are setting our hope fully on, on the grace ahead. We are being holy even as He is holy. That's the command. Counting on His grace and power to simply do that in this moment. What does that look like in this conversation? Ready to respond if we see we're off the right, right path. If we've gotten on the wrong path, we just come back in this moment. That's holiness. Repentance leads to holiness. So being holy in all our conduct. And then finally, love one another. Love one another. Setting our hope there. Keeping this in line. Obeying Him moment by moment. And then here, love one another. And, and the first thing we got to do probably, right, is make sure we have the right idea of what love is. <laughs> I always hear 1 John 3.16. I remember when I first became or recommitted my life to Christ, 21, 22 years old. The word that always confused me, that the first thing, just, I really just started reading through it. Like, Lord, help me understand what does love mean to you? Because I hear all sorts of definitions of love. And I was honestly confused. And the verse that just clarified things for me forevermore, it's just where my mind goes, is this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Well, that's so much better than what I hear in the world. That love is this action, this decision, that I'm just called every day to die. To die to myself. To die to those words that I want to say that actually hurt that person. That I'm lifting this person up above myself in all my words and speech. And here's the relief, for, at least for me, I'm sure for you. Don't worry about what you're feeling. Sometimes we think like, Love means that as we carry out this action, we have to feel good about it. I don't know about you. I don't even know how to control my feelings. They just come on me. I don't even know where they came from. For instance, anger. Right? I like to use driving. I'm from south of Boston. You drive angry, right? I'm driving around. I don't even know why I'm so mad at the guy who just cut me off. It doesn't matter why I'm so mad. Here's the deal. Don't start driving mad. Like you care for the person in the car. 
I literally, when people cut me off, look, there's an action today to take. I don't know the guy. How do I start, or, or gal? I don't know how, I don't know how to love that person, like, to do what to do for them. But here's what I can do. Pray for them. So I start praying for them. I told that story to someone. They said, you should be praying for yourself. I think, oh, no, you misunderstand me. I am praying for them for me. Right? The idea is there are all sorts of things I want to do. None of them good. So, Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, you can pray for that person. It is amazing. Like, eventually feelings change, but not always. Right? So you get cut off. I don't have to be in a good mood as I pray, oh, Lord, watch over that person, especially as they drive. Nah, just kidding. Watch over them, Lord. Set them apart for you. Lord, I don't even know them. I don't know what they might be hanging on to that you don't have for them. But, Lord, open up their hands. Let them let go of everything you don't have and turn to you. Save them. Be glorified in their lives. That's how we love our enemies. That's how we love, period. We're just always looking to build people up. You know, just for an application here, because this is actually written to believers. So Peter's saying, like, to our gang, love the people in this room. Like, love each other. I don't know exactly what that looks like for you guys as you're around the table. I, I will say, I've seen you do it. I've seen you care for each other, even as some of the people around your table have, have died. I've seen you care well, love well, make sacrifices to care for those people. What I really wanted to do this morning, though, is before I left, just to make sure that we're not harboring bitterness nowhere in this room, that not with anyone, that we already for each person in this room, that we, we ask for forgiveness if we've offended. And if someone comes and asks for forgiveness, we give it. That we can at least apply this command to love one another in that. That we forgive. That we don't hold grudges. That we don't wish ill on people who have done ill to us. That the opposite. We just want to be holy in all our conduct. And we want to help each other do that too. So if there's anyone in this room that needs to go ask for forgiveness and, oh, do it. Dick Woodward used to say the 10 hardest words to say, right? I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? We just do it. Just say the words. By the way, the second hardest 10 words, you guys remember? You were wrong, it did hurt, but I forgive you. By the way, I'd say those first few in your head. I found that when I say those out loud, that's not really helpful sometimes. You were wrong, it did hurt. No. We can just go to, and I forgive you. I forgive you. We know what it is to need forgiveness, right? And we know we're going to need it again as soon as he reveals these blind spots. These are the commands he gives us. And then he lands in verse 23. He lands where he started above in verse 3. You have been born again. Therefore, here's three commands. Set your hope fully in the future, the grace to be revealed. Be holy. 
listen and look for where he's leading and love one another since you have been born again. That's verse 23. Born again, therefore. And you did these because you've been born again. Born again. And remember, this whole world is temporary. I tell you, a last surprise I want to tell you about involves Tom Brady. (laughs) It has nothing to do with the comeback last week. That was not a surprise to anybody, now was it? Everybody knew that was coming. Ten points down, fourth quarter, still favored to win. What happened? Yeah, they won. They got one more game, folks. Now, the surprise, though, was actually an interview that Tom Brady gave probably ten years ago. He had actually already won a few Super Bowls. I don't know if he had married the model at that point. I don't know. But essentially, Tom Brady was living the dream, right? He's young. He's famous. He was winning like crazy. He'd done everything the world says you got to do to find fulfillment. And here was the surprise that he experienced. He said, I've done all this. And it's like, is this all there is? There's got to be more. That's right. Because actually, we only pretend that sports matter. (laughs) All that stuff fades. Glory in this world that doesn't last. It fades. It disappears. The flower falls. But we've been born again of an imperishable seed. The word of God in us that is eternal. We have been changed from the inside out. Born again. So we set our hopes fully on the grace ahead. We are commanded to be holy in all our conduct and to love one another. Amen and have a great week.